The cross is a beautiful thing, isn't it? Amen. This morning, I want to invite you to turn me in your Bibles as we go through our Bible study this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 in your Bibles. The sermon entitled this morning continues our series of the ultimate love story. And the sermon entitled this morning is The Lie About Love. The Lie About Love. You know that there is only one word for love in English. And yet this word we use love in English covers everything from I love the beach, I love surfing, I love tacos, to I love my wife, right? But something inside me tells me that there needs to be, right man, there needs to be a big difference between I love tacos and I love my wife, right? Amen, man? And something tells me also deep inside me that there needs to be a big difference between the love that is seen on, in Hollywood and the love we should have for our spouses and for God. So this morning, may our eyes be able to behold a different type of love as is seen from the Word of God. Let us pray. Our Father, as your Word is open, we ask that your Spirit may teach us and enlighten us and show us, Lord, the love you have. It is our humble prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. What was the false definition of love that was being taught in Jesus' day? Look at Jesus. Jesus was teaching, and then he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, he explains a false teaching of love that was going on in the schools of those times, in those days, in the rabbinical schools. And he said to them, this is what Jesus said to them. He said, this is a false love. He said, you have heard, you have been heard, you've been taught, that it has been said, it has been said by teachers, you have learned, you have been taught, you have heard, it has been said, this, a certain type of definition of love. And this is what Jesus said. This is what you've been taught and learned. And it has been said, you, will, you shall love your neighbor, but hate your what? Enemy. Okay, so now Jesus said, okay, Jesus has his little school, his disciples, he's teaching. And as the great teacher, he says, you have heard in your schools that a definition of love is to love people who are lovable, but to hate people who are not lovable, right? That's what he's saying. Hate your enemy. That's what you've been taught. And that's what Jesus is describing here. And this type of love, Jesus, he added to a definition. He said, this type of love comes from the word, the Greek word, eros. You know, in, if you look in your handout here that was in your bulletin, there's four different types of Greek, Greeks, four types of love that was in your bulletin. There's a handout. And there's phileo, Storge, eros, and agape. How many ever heard of that before? Eros, agape, kind of, yeah? Okay, so you heard about it. So Jesus is giving his classroom instruction, and he says, okay, what you've heard in the rabbinical schools of the day is that the eros love. Now, eros comes from the Greek mythology. Eros was the god of, does anyone know? Sexual love, who was the son of Aphrodite. And thus, the love of Eris was a love in which a person was allured to something that was only attractive. So you would only be allured to something if it was outwardly attractive or it was beautiful or it was looking good. That was Eris. And Jesus said that the reason 
what you've been learned, what you've learned about love is, is that it's based upon eros, that you only allure to things that is beautiful or good. In other words, if something is beautiful or good, you love them as your neighbor. If something not beautiful or good, then you hate them as your enemy. Do you see that? So he's teaching his class on eros. And then what happens next? Um, before we go there, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 in your Bibles. What is true love? See, nothing is wrong with eros in and of itself. Because God is the originator of all true beauty. Amen? And not only that, but he has put the love of beauty into our human nature. So nothing is wrong with that. But the problem with Eris love is, is that ultimately it is really a selfish type of love. And we're going to go more into that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, what is the true definition of love? And the Bible says, love does not behave itself rudely. Love does not seek its own. In other words, God... Love, true love, is not selfish. It is, the opposite of selfish is what? Unselfishness. So, true love is unselfish, but Eris love is purely selfish, based upon what is only, I'm going to be attracted only if it's beautiful, only if it's good. Do you see that? Only if. So, Jesus was, was deciphering the difference between the two. Eris love desires to have something that will satisfy one's own selfish desires. Now, for example, a man loves a woman, Eris loves a woman, because her form, her physical form is beautiful to his eyes and has the potential to bring him physical pleasure. That's Eris love. A woman, Eris loves a man because his personality is so charming to her and has the potential to gratify her, her emotional longings of her heart. That's Eros love. See, but the problem with Eros love is this. If you're only looking for, to be attracted or to love something that is beautiful or has benefit for you, what happens to the man who married a woman just for her body or her form, her, her physical form, 20 years later when she no longer has the same form as if she had when they were once met 20 years ago. If it was purely and only Eros love, if that's the only reason, what happens 50 years later? Are you following me? What happens to the love if a woman married a man for Eros love? What happens to Eros love for your husband when you meet another man who now truly fulfills the emotional longings of your soul and your heart? unlike your husband. Yes, it's good, and we love, appreciate beauty, but if that's all there is, if that's all that's holding you, is just an heiress love of beauty or what you can get out of it, then we have a major problem, don't we? If our love for one another is just based upon the beauty or the worth of the other person, what I can get out of, beloved, we as Christians are in big trouble, right? Amen? The fact that there are a lot of divorces and sexual immorality within God's remnant church today is proof enough that our current church culture is saturated with the love of the world, which is heiress love. Is that not true? Now, I mentioned before, like, you know, 50% of, you know, Christian marriages getting divorced. 
But again, that's not including the real percentage of people who are living together who don't want to get married because they don't want to be another statistic of getting divorced, right? The statistic is much higher than 50%. If you calculate all the people who are living together and got divorced, who actually separated, the percentage would be 90%, 95%. It's way up there, especially we know in Hawaii, right? Many people live together and opt not to get married, thus skewing the percentage rate. So this clearly shows us that Eros is alive in God's church today. Turn back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 44. Let's go back to the great teacher. And as, as he's teaching his class, isn't it amazing to watch Jesus, how he teaches his class? It's pretty amazing. So he's teaching his class, and he says, okay, what you've been taught is, you see, Israel had gone and sent their, the scholars to Greece, and they have learned the Greece philosophy of Plato and Platonism, Aristotle, Socrates. But Platonism was brought back to Israel, and they brought back the different philosophies of Plato. I mean, it was brought into the educational system back then, or the rabbinical schools. And it's this, this, this teaching of Eros love came into the, the, the Jewish church of those days and said, this love, where you only love tho those who are of benefit to yourself or beautiful, this is Eros love. And then Jesus said, I'm going to teach you a different love. You want to hear that different love? Verse 44. First it says, you have heard and said, you've been taught and learned that the, you love your neighbor and hate those things that's not beautiful and good. But I say unto you, love your what? Love things that's not beautiful to you. Love things that's people who are not good to you. How's that one? Amen, it is hard. We'll get to the solution later. It's actually impossible, not hard, right? Human nature is impossible. But he says, love those things that's not beautiful. In other words, go con totally contrary to Eros love. Everything you learn in your rabbinical school is totally opposite of what you believe in Eros love. I want to teach you a new type of love, a new definition. I'm going to use a totally different Greek word, which is the only Greek word used in the whole New Testament to describe what love is. We're going to get to that word. It says, Love your enemies, love those people who are not good, who are not beautiful. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you. Can you, is there any benefit from you from actually loving people who actually hate you, despitefully use you, persecute you, curse you? That's your enemy. There's nothing good in, you don't see anything good in these people, right? You don't see anything that is a benefit up to yourself. There is no selfish gain from doing what this second type of love Jesus is asking his students to do. This second type of love is called agape love. That's what we heard before. Every time, now he uses phileo, but most of the time in the New Testament they're using agape love. Jesus used the word agape love. This is the love I want to teach you. Now, agape love is a love where one loves not because the object is beautiful or good, but just because of the object. And it doesn't matter, beloved, if people hate your guts or your avowed enemies. Agape love will still love them and will continue to do what is best for them. Amen? That's agape love. But beloved, like I said, we cannot love with this agape love 
within our own human nature. It is impossible. Amen? But things that is impossible with man is what? Possible with who? Only with God. But here's one step. There's only way, one way for us to love like this, and that way is that we must first see the true picture of God's love for me and you that will melt our hardened hearts, and when we experience this love, that love will change our hearts, and then and only then will we be able to love others as God has loved us this morning, beloved. Amen? That's the power. But it's not an intellectual understanding and then me intellectually loving you, right? It is an actual experience of God's love he has toward me, regardless of how I look and how I may feel. And then I experience his love, and his love that transforms my heart, that softens the love of God will flow freely to others because why? I have first experienced it in my own life. And then I can love others as God has loved me. Now, what did the unrighteous do in Paul's day? Turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 22. Then we're going to look at something. Romans chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. In Jesus' day and in Paul's day, now I want you to think about what is the effect. If we have our only one definition of love, is that we only love those who are good to me, only love things which is beautiful, only love things that are good, only love things that is of benefit to me. If that's the only thing there is, does that affect also my relationship with God, do you think? Notice what happens here in Romans chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Notice what happens. Now, in those days, remember, everyone understood love in the context that love is only if, you're, only if it's beautiful or good and I can get something out of it. Now, notice what they did in, in Paul's day, in Jesus' day. Paul says here in Romans, 122, professing themselves to be wise, they became what? Fools. And notice what it says in verse 23. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible who? They changed God into an image made like to corruptible what? Man, in other words, their picture, they made God out to be like who? Themselves. So he's now follow this. So now they've learned, Jesus is saying, the teaching that you learned in this day was a love where you only love those who are beautiful and good, right? The beautiful and good. That's who only you love. And if you're not beautiful or good, then you're not, you don't what? You don't love them, right? Now they're not only putting the picture of what Eros love is, love is among them, now they make God out to be like how they treat each other. Are you following me? So what they do is, they did was, they made God out to be like in Psalm says, all together, you have made me altogether one as yourself, right? And God says, I will rebuke you. In other words, they made God out to be like how they love each other. They made, they made God out to be as one who would love them as how they love one another. In other words, they made God out to be one who would love with an heiress love, like how they love each other with an heiress love. Therefore, they made God out to be that God will only love those who are beautiful and good. Are you following me? And those who are wicked and sinful, he's not going to love them. Ever heard that before? So, this was in Paul's day, close to Jesus' day. The same teaching was done in the schools. So, Eros' love not only affected how they treated one another, but Eros' love affected how they saw God. 
and not only that, but how they saw their relationship between God and themselves was. And not only that. Think about this. If we think that God only loves those who are good and beautiful, and he doesn't love those who are not good and beautiful, how do we feel God must love us if we are not good and beautiful? Does he love us? Do we think he loves us? He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, is that how we feel? One day we feel he loves us, he loves us not. He loves us, how we feel. Now if Eros love was there pervading that culture and Eros love made them to think that God was like them, that God loves only those who are beautiful and good and he only loves those people, then they must have, they felt that God only loves them. So what happens when you feel that you're not good and beautiful? Now what do you think you need to do now to make yourself good and beautiful? You must do what? You must have what? Good works. Does that make sense to you? If I'm not beautiful, if I know I'm a sinner and I'm a wicked person, I'm in the world or even in a church, if I feel that God only loves an, with an heiress love and loves only the good and beautiful, therefore I must make myself good and beautiful first before God will love me. Are you following me? Ah, heiress love. That's heiress love. I must make myself good and beautiful first before God will love me enough to save me. You know penance is? Penance is the punishment you give to yourself in order to prove to God that you are worthy enough to be loved and to be saved. You follow me? That's what penance is. Indulgences, where you give money or deny yourself, is done so that you will be good enough to be loved by God so that he will save you because he loves you enough. Are you following me? Any type of works that we do in order to earn, to actually make God feel we're just good enough that he, maybe I'm just good enough that God will finally love what is beautiful and what is good. Look at your handout here from Desire of Ages, page 35. Inspiration says, the principle that man, humanity, can save himself by his own works, lay at the foundation of how many? Every heathen religion. Every religion out there that's based upon that you can do works to make God appreciate you so that he can then love you, so that he can save you, is based upon every false religion. Whether it's in the church or out the church, it doesn't matter. See, what makes it dangerous in Adventist churches is because we have a lot of rules, don't we? A lot. And we can be just as bad as the Jews. In fact, what it says here, continue on the quote, it says, it had now become, talking about Jesus' time, it had now become the principle of the what? Jewish religion. In other words, the religion of the Jews back in Jesus' day reflected the heiress love of Platonism being taught from the Greek philosophers. It infiltrated a church, and therefore they saw that they did not see the agape love. They saw the heiress love. And when they saw the heiress love among each other, they saw God loving only with an heiress love toward them. And therefore there was a religion of righteousness 
where they could save themselves by doing enough works. The foundation for every false religion is the belief that we can save ourselves by our own works. Do good works so God will appreciate us for our goodness and beauty so that he may love us. Not only that, the foundation for every belief that we can save ourselves by our own works is a false picture of God's love. So this is how it goes. So first of all, you have a, if you have a false picture of God's love, that God only loves the beautiful and the good, what are you going to do? You're going to try and be beautiful by doing good works. Are you following me? Why? So that eventually God will see you, how beautiful and good you are so that he may then love you next, right? That's righteousness by faith. Do you see the foundation is love again? Love is the foundation. But if you see God, let's go back, rather than seeing God with an heiress love, see God with an agape love, that God loves you in spite of where you may be at. He loves you. That motivates your heart. It softens your heart. It, it fills you with awe and love for him. And then because you see him, you, you, you love him. And then the works follow after you love God. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? The works follow after you work. But you see the difference? Can you imagine? Because you see that you're not good enough, you're doing works so that God will love you. The motivation cannot be love. Are you following me? If you're doing works to gain the love, the love is not the motivation. But the other way around is that you see that God loves you in spite of yourself. It changes your heart. You love him. And then you be obedient. And you worship him. And you have a servant heart of, of obedience to all of his commandments. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. What happened when we weren't beautiful or, or good? Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 in your Bibles. Now, you tell me what kind of love this is. Eros, meaning that you have to be beautiful and good, and then God loves you. Or agape love, in spite of what you do, God still loves you first, which changes you to be obedient. You tell me which one this is, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible says, God commanded his love toward us. This is what Jesus taught. In that while we were yet, what? Ugly. Not good, not beautiful. Christ, what? Died for us. He died for us, why? Because he what? He loved us. So here is Jesus. He's, he's going against the popular teachings of his day, and even within the Jewish church of the rabbinical schools, and they're teaching that you must have eros love, and you must, you must, um, you must have this be attractive first to God before he will love you. And then he comes and says, hey, wait a minute, I'm going contrary to the teachings of the culture, the church culture of the day. And he says to him, I want to tell you about a love with that why are you still ugly? Why are you still not lovable? God loves you even then. Amen? Loves you even then. He teaches them the agape love. You see, God doesn't love us because of what we are, but because of who he is. God doesn't love us because we are good, but because he is good. God doesn't love because of what we have to offer, but because he is love, beloved. Amen? You see, in our fallen condition, here's the thing. In our fallen condition, 
we want to be loved based upon our attractiveness and what we have to offer. True? No, we, we, like, we like people to love us because of what we have to offer. Think about this. Now, what if your lover or your significant other, or say you're getting married and the person asked you to marry came up to you, and it's, what did they say to this? They said this to you. They said to you, you are the most ugliest, <laughs> foolish, unknowing, irritating person I've ever met in the world, but I love you anyway. Will you please marry me? <laughs> How would you feel? How do you feel? Visible. I mean, you, people like people to love them because you are some way attracted to them, right? Some way. Isn't that the same with God? Don't we, beloved, isn't it the same that we, don't we feel, for aren't we spiritually ugly, spiritually foolish, and spiritually irritating to God? But not only that, that's being nice. In reality, we are sinful, rebellious, and selfish people who have brought a lot of pain to the heart of God. Amen? And it's a humbling experience to realize that God loves us in spite of the fact that we are unlovable and do not deserve it. Amen? See, it's humbling. It's humbling as a girl. Somebody tells you that you're ugly and all that, but I want to marry you anyway. I mean, it's like God saying that to us. You know, you're spiritually ugly, you're you know, miserable, you're unlovable, but guess what? I love you anyway. But that's the love of God. God loves us in spite of what you look like, what you've done, and where you may be at. That's the love of God. Now, what did God, John know and believe? Turn to 1 John 4, verse 16 in your Bibles. 1 John 4, verse 16. 1 John 4, right before Revelation. 1 John 4, verse 16. What did John know and believe? Notice what the Bible says. John understood agape love. And he said this. We have known and believe the love of God, the love that God has to us. God is what? Love. He said, at one time I knew the heiress love, but now I know agape love, that God is not looking for me to be beautiful first before he loves me. He loves me in spite that I'm not beautiful I'm spiritually, I'm not lovable spiritual, that I'm still selfish, and God still loves me. And I know this, and I believe this love. And then it says that God is love. I want you to notice that agape love is what God is. The Bible doesn't say that God is loving, but it said that God is love. In other words, it's a noun. For love is not merely a character trait of God, but instead, beloved, is a complete definition of who and what God is. If you look into the Bible, you will see that God is merciful, but it doesn't say that God is mercy. Are you following me? The Bible says that God is just, but the definition of God is that he's not justice. God is patient, but he's not patience. In the same way, God is not merely just loving, but the whole definition of God is that God is love this morning, beloved. Amen? God is love without condition or changing. There's nothing external to him that motivates his love to us. 
Whatever you may do, even if it's wicked or evil, whatever you may do, God will not stop loving you this morning, beloved. Amen? For God loved you in spite of your ugliness and sin, beloved. God will follow you all the way, even to your own destruction, with a pleading love. What a God we serve. Amen? Now, turn to Titus chapter 3, verse 3 to 5, right? Before Hebrews, in your Bibles, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, in the New Testament. What happened after Paul lived a life of self, self-love, of eros love? Notice the Bible says, Titus chapter 3, verse 3 to 5, and it's a hard little small chapter, but uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then it goes a few more chapters in books, and then it's in Titus. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 to 5. What happened after Paul lived a life of self-love? Notice the Bible says. Paul says, at one time I knew Eros love. And he said this. For we ourselves, knowing this Eros love, also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, there's that word hating, right, your enemies, hateful, and hating one another. So when he understood the Eros love and all, that the, all there was to that, and God loved me with an Eros love, this is the natural result of seeing God is loving me with an Eros love. That's how, he no, that's how we normally live as Christians. And if we're seeing that we're living this way as Christians, that means we believe that we need to love each other with an Eros, but also that we see God loving us with an heiress love that we must be beautiful and good first. But notice what happens in verse 4. But after that, after the heiress love, and I've seen the true love that Jesus taught to me in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 44, of his unconditional agape love. Notice this. But after that, the kindness and love, the agape love of God, our Savior, toward, toward man, toward us, appeared. It was revealed to me. I understood it. It was clear. I, I see it. When I saw that love, when I saw the love of God after the Eros love, when I saw that God be love, that God loves me in spite of me not being good or beautiful, when I saw that love, it changed my heart. It transformed my life. I'm a new person. In verse 5, knows what happens. And it, then it says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. In other words, because God loves me first, I don't have to do any works to win God's approval. I don't have to do anything else to, get, to show God that I'm beautiful enough for him to love me. I don't have to do anything to show that I'm a lovable person, that I'm a good person. I don't have to do any of those things because while I'm still unlovable, God still loved me and died for me, beloved. Amen? I don't have to do all those things. That's why it's not by the works of righteousness, which we have done. It's not any of these things. I did works of righteousness only after, but not in order to receive his love and salvation. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. It's because of the mercy of God's love toward me and you. That's our salvation, beloved. Amen? The agape love is my salvation, your salvation. And notice this, what happens. After he saw the love of God, saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. In other words, when I saw the love of God, it transformed my life. Guess what happened? I love God and it re- regenerated my heart. It renewed my soul. It made me obedient to all of his commandments because I love such a God that loved me in spite of myself. 
What a God we serve, amen? Today, history has proven again that we, as God's remnant church, have fallen into the same trap as the Jewish church. For if we were to describe the type of love that is seen, not taught, but just seen, in our churches today, we would describe that love to be eros love. When you see brothers and sisters fighting, when you see them not being obedient to all of God's commandments, these are the natural consequences of seeing God with a false picture. When we're not being obedient to the word of God and being obedient to the spirit of prophecy, when we're hating our enemies, all these are the symptoms that our love for God and love for one another is not based upon agape love. It's revealing the fact that our love for God and, and one another is based upon eros love. In the Jewish church, the Greek philosophy of eros love was taught in the rabbinical schools. But then Jesus Christ came along. And Agape's love taught us will once again proclaim, which set his captive church free, beloved. Amen? In the early 4th century, Augustine blended Eros love and Agape love. And he came up with a new love, and it's called Caritas love. And this love led you that you, God works halfway and you work halfway. It's blend between Agape and Eros. And so what this taught was that if you would do your best, God will make up the rest. You ever heard that before? So in the darkest time of this age, in the dark ages, in the 16th century, Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon at the University of Wittenberg began to teach, once again, the beauty of agape love. And the love of God toward us as sinners, and this transforming righteousness by faith, the whole world which started a revival and reformation called the Great Reformation. Then today, the philosophies of Platonism and Eros love has once again infiltrated God's remnant church today. And God is raising up men and women today who proclaim the truth about God's agape love toward you and me this morning, beloved. Amen. And when this final message of God's character of love is finally proclaimed, there will be a revival in God's remnant church such as has not been seen since apostolic times. And when this revival takes place, God will move in a way that it will be out of the common order of things and that is contrary to all human planning and we will all finally reproduce his character of love and finally go home. Amen. I want God to erase the teachings that I had about Eros love in my mind as a divine school teacher, as if it's on the blackboard and he's teaching us. I want him to take that thoughts of Eros love on a blackboard and I want him to erase it all. And you know what I want him to put there? I want him to rewrite his law of his love, of agape love on my heart this morning. How about you? Amen? Not just intellectually understand through this one sermon, but I want to experience it in my heart. How about you? Amen? 
And not only me experience it, but I want others to experience that transformation of my whole life and seeing his love and feeling and experience that love through me to my family, my friends, my neighbors. How about you? Do you have that love in your heart? Is there bitterness for anybody that God wants to take away? God wants to change your heart and my heart. If that's a desire, then we make a commitment to God in your mind this morning. As we sing our closing song and sing about how can it be and can it be, page 198. We sing about how can God's love be so great to us. <laughs>